Hello and welcome to the E-Reads Podcast. I'm your host, Liz. And this is my show where I talk about books, authorship, and all the different parts of the creative process. On this episode, I have author Craig here to talk about his memoir and how he used an unconventional item in his storytelling process. Hats. He used hats in his storytelling to convey different parts of his journey, and he's going to give us a behind the scenes of how he did that and how he discovered how to take these unique items in his storytelling process. But before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about So he spent six years at the Sports Network, and that really showed him the ropes in television production. After years of being on the production side of entertainment, he then took a different approach and entered into the world of storytelling and advising other storytellers, as well as coaching people on the methodologies of storytelling. Craig has a passion for the creative process, and now that you know a little bit about him, let's jump into the episode and we'll have an ad later on in the show. Craig, welcome. I am very excited to talk to you about your book, um, All Caps, because there's some interesting things about it. (laughs) So I can't wait to share that with uh, the listeners. So how are you? I'm great, Liz. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Thank you. And so to welcome folks on, I like to start with a bookish question, as I like to call it. And today, my question is, if your characters could speak... What would they say about you? Well, mine's kind of a memoir. So, uh, you know, it's a bit of what would I say about myself? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to share that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll tell you what I think uh, my character in the book would say about the guy who wrote about him. You know, I think I was really honest. Um, about a, a lot of things that are difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if there's if there's one thing that I want uh, people to take out of this is, you know, that I really, you know, emptied the tank emotionally on a lot of things. And I know it looks like it's a book about uh, hats, but it's, it's a lot more than that. And I've recently come to learn that uh, young people are using the term caps to mean lies. So the book is not all lies. Mm, so I hear, you know, you saying that you're, you're brave and you're tackling these hard issues. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there are some surprises in the book and I don't know if you've gone through it, if we want to give some of those away, but you know, the book is, um, it's kind of like, uh, it hits a turning point about midway through and the book itself, uh, tells, uh, you know, personal stories through hats. And I try to go to things where there are conflict and disappointment and mistakes and, and failures and glories and all of those things and self-discovery. Uh, but 
you know, a lot of it because of the nature of the hats has a lot of sports in it. If you're sports fans, that's generally the target audience for this. Not the only audience, but the main target audience. Um, but some of the experiences that happen about midway through go beyond sports in any way. And really the book looks like one thing. I just saw Bruce Springsteen a couple nights ago. I'm a big fan of his. And, and one of the things that I love about his work is that he has uh, songs that sound one way. You know, they sound happy and upbeat, but underneath it, there is some sadness and there is some comment on the human condition. And I tried to do the same thing with this book. So the first mm -hmm. half of the book is really a lot of fun and funny experiences. And then we go some places that are supposed to guide people to realize, you know, really what the most important things in life and what connections matter the most. Mm, absolutely. And this is told through the, the, the viewpoint of, of hats or, you know, it incorporates hats. How, how did you de decide on that? That's such an interesting point of view. How did that come to be? Well, it's a pandemic book. So I'm a television producer, executive producer. And, you know, when the pandemic was about to start, I was supposed to direct a two camera shoot on a luxury cruise ship from Argentina to Portugal for Discovery Channel. And then I was going to write the show and take it through the edit suite. It was like a dream gig. Right. Well, we all know what happened. First, the cruises went away and then the shows went away. Yeah. And then a lot of people got fired. So I was trying to, and my business is a big connection business. I was trying to find a way to make people aware of me. I was sitting down here at my desk working away, but just to my right is a two racks of hats. And I thought I have so many hats. I didn't know how many, but I'm going to wear a different hat every day, get use of them until we get to be together again. So I took a, out the first hat. It's a Pittsburgh pirate stovepipe hat with a P on it for, for pandemic. And I took a picture of it and put it on Facebook and then didn't think about it again. Later that day, a whole bunch of people, put in pictures of their hats in the comments. So every day I would put up a hat and people would share their hats and it was a way to be connected in a time when we were isolated. Right. And then I started writing stories associated with the hats. And that was connecting me to my own personal history. People that I loved and missed and some of whom are gone. Um, so in a time of, you know, real isolation, although I'm at home with my wife and kids, I felt connections to people and to myself and to my own history that I hadn't had before. And people were really responding to it. I was also starting to get afraid that I was becoming the crazy hat guy. I have a <laughs> lot of friends in my industry here and I thought, I'm just going to be that crazy hat guy from now on. Especially when it went on for 125 days. Yeah. So when it ended, I was a little sheepish. But a funny thing happened. A whole yeah. bunch of people said that they were sad that it was over. That they missed it. And these weren't just the people sharing hats. These were people who, not even people who were clicking like. These were people who had just, you know, ghosted along. And uh, then people started telling me I should write a book. And, you know, my cousin who uh, is a mystery writer, she told me to write the book. All right. I don't really see it. My brother, who had written a bestseller in Canada, said, I think there's a market for it. All right. All right. I'll think about it. And then my mom, who had written a column in the paper in our hometown of Thunder Bay, Ontario for a long time, told me I should write it. And I'm not going to say no to my mom. So I got the permissions from all the people who own the hats, the logos and everything. And then I wrote the book. That is so interesting. 
you know, one, it, it reminds you to think creatively, right? And you never know, like all these things in our environment have a story and a journey. But I love the way that you used it to find connection and also express your story. I mean, that's such a fascinating uh, thing, and, you know, and you took tragedy or this like pivot from this current job that you were going to have and landed over here. And so that's an amazing story. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm getting a lot of credit for being creative, but it just kind of stumbled into it, uh, you know, and using a prop for a story is a bit of a parlor trick, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm happy to be using the parlor trick, but, uh, you know, and it could be for anybody, it could be your shoe collection. Right. You know, once you have enough of anything and uh, things that you collected as experiences, like all my hats come from experiences. I didn't really mean to have a cat collection. I've never really thought of it as a, as a collection because I'm not trying to complete a series of something. Mm -hmm. um, I just picked them up with experiences and they, and I didn't even realize that was happening until I looked at each one individually. Very cool. Very cool. And you say there's a lot of different themes within in your story. Mm -hmm. Was that intentional from the beginning? How did that come to be? Was it intentional from the beginning? Boy, we're really pulling back the curtain here. You know, I read, was it Neil Gaiman who said your second draft is where you go through and try to make it look like you knew what you were doing in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I structured it in a very chronological order. And I knew what the big chapters are and I knew what the big things were. I, I, well, I knew what the big chapters were. I knew what the big stories were. When I went back through it for the second draft, you know, I went hunting for themes and boy, did they ever pop out at me. And they they surprised me too. I think I learned something about myself from doing it. You know, really the theme of being an outsider. And I know that's going to sound funny coming from, you know, a guy who looks like me, but, you know, I moved to Canada from the United States when I was eight years old wow. during the Vietnam war uh, and kids threw rocks at our house and yelled Yankee go home. Oh, wow. And so I was in a community of people who looked like me who were telling me I didn't belong. And, you know, it didn't take long before I saw the way indigenous people were treated in our community too. And, and, you know, I had the appetizer tray of you don't belong. Like I just had a taste of it. I haven't experienced what other people have, but I knew enough to know I didn't like it. Right, and right. It was wrong. So, you know, that feeling of needing, of wanting to belong, when you don't really popped out at me and I didn't realize how much of my life was searching for a place to belong. It, it's interesting. You take something as light and fun as hats and there's all these different layers within it. And I think that's a really good example of, right. Sometimes it's, it's hard to talk and explore different subjects, but how can you do that? How can you kind of draw someone in so they're not afraid to go there? And I, again, I think it was really clever how you've done that. Yeah, if there's anything clever about it, uh, it was the structuring. Mm. I didn't put them in the order I bought them. Mm. You know, I sort of put them in the order of memories. You know, the oh, first had in the book. Yeah, I'm a big Detroit Tiger fan, as you may be able to see by some of the things behind me. And the first hat in the book is a plastic imitation batting helmet for the Detroit Tigers. You know, when I was young, you couldn't get the actual 
cloth hats, which I didn't see any, but those plastic helmets were everywhere. Uh, I think it was my older brothers when I showed him the book. He goes, "Hey, that was that was my hat." I think we all felt like it was our hat. But I bought that hat years later when I had kids of my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that hat and it just brought me back to my youth and my, the happiness I felt in Michigan. And just, you know, the Detroit Tigers won the World Series in 1968 when I was five years old. And I really don't remember much about the games, but I sure remember the feeling and how much everyone rallied around that, that unified. So I thought, my kids will love this hat. And they never wore it. Because it's plastic and it's got these little straps to poke in the back of your head and they have way better hats now. But, you know, I also couldn't get rid of it. It's sitting as like a little monument in my corner. So, you know, that was the place to start is, you know, what do I have that reminds me of then and happiness and, and you know, a place where I felt included, you know. And then it changed when we moved to Thunder Bay. So... Hmm, interesting. And it's interesting how you said you didn't do it kind of like an order of them being bought, but in yeah. order of memory, um, it's interesting. And I didn't group them by hats either. Mm. Right? I let them play out. Like I, since I'm a Tiger fan, I have a lot of Tiger hats. I'm a Steeler fan of a lot of Steeler hats. By the way, moving to Canada was a great move. I love it here. Um, <laughs> it was, it just took a while to make the adjustment, especially internally. Right. Absolutely. It, it it's also interesting because um, the only other person that I've kind of seen structure like their memoir in a way that wasn't chronological was James Patterson. And he kind of also did it in these different spurts of memories. And I find that interesting because sometimes when you're reading a memoir or a biography, it can feel a little static of like, you know, you start off from when they were young and then they get older and all of this, but it, it's really nice and refreshing to see this different order of storytelling in, in regards to, to memoirs and biography. Yeah. Well, mine is chronological and, uh, you know, I thought about it. There was a reason for that. Um, you know, people have described the book differently, but you know, when you talk about what's most important in life, I think you kind of have to walk through it a little bit, at least in my case, you did. Mm. Uh, I, I still thought, think that works best. Maybe if I had given it more time, could have come up with something even more clever, but I thought it worked for it. There are characters I needed to introduce and develop and show what they meant to me. Um, so, I mean, there might've been another way to do it in my book, but that's not the way I chose to do it. Mm. <laughs> this might be a silly question, but what is your favorite hat? Oh, that's easy. It's a uh, Detroit Tiger, New Era, 5950. Uh, I'll show, I'll get a picture of one here for you. Um, it's this type of hat, Detroit Tiger New Era 5950 hat. It's the kind that the base, the players wear. And for the longest time, you know, you see these everywhere now. When I bought mine, they were nowhere. Most of the hats were terrible. They were kind of trucker hats with a plastic back and a foam <laughs> front and a brim that never held its shape. But I went to school at the University of Windsor. I was close to the Tigers again. And there was a store outside Tiger Stadium called Sportsland USA. And for a huge Detroit Tiger fan and sports fan like me, walking in there was a little bit of nirvana. They had all of the hats and all of the sizes. It's not stretch fit or snapback. It fits your head. It's a size to fit your head. It's what they wear in the field. And, you know, it was a 
big investment for me as a university student. But boy, when I put one on, it was like wearing art and architecture. And it was beautiful. And I never thought of a hat that way. Um, but it really did have this incredible structure and held its form and it was crafted. And oh, I love that thing. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, that one is long gone. I've worn it out. But I always have a few in different stages of of wear. Uh, so my favorite one of them all is one that I got at Detroit Tigers fantasy camp in 2014. I don't keep that with the rest. I keep that in a special drawer someplace. And th that's where you go when you uh, get a full tiger uniform and they divide you into teams and you play and you're coached by former tigers and you play against the tigers at the end of it. That was a magical experience. I talk about that in the book. So that's my favorite hat. I, I love that. And what would you say if, you know, folks are just like, ah, I don't know if I can write about my life. I don't have anything interesting going on. How, how do you find the stories in your life? Well, listen, I think it's very daunting to ask people to talk about themselves and nobody thinks they're that interesting. Um, but just let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, how interesting would you think it would be to read about a guy walking around Dublin for the day, right? Mm, right. We got Ulysses, right? He turned that into great art. Mm. Um, how interested are you going to be in a guy who lives in uh, lives above a surfboard shop on the Jersey Shore, who is very young and hasn't had a ton of life experience? Doesn't get along with his dad really well, right? Well, we got Bruce Springsteen out of that, right? Like, who cares? And especially then, who cares about Jersey? Nobody's talking about Jersey. Um, I, I think once you look at your experiences and you think about, you know, what are the stories you tell when you're sitting around with your friends that get a laugh or move people? Start with those. Start mm -hmm. with those individual stories, right? And then string those together and see where it goes. And that's what was encouraging to me is I knew I had some good stories to tell. I knew that I could get a laugh. I, you know, I'm a television producer. I'm a professional storyteller. So I knew I knew how to tell a story. And I knew if I could string enough of them together that people would react to them. It just depended on how much I put into them. And so I would say, don't worry about writing your whole life story. Write individual experiences. I mean, that's the difference between a memoir and an autobiography, right? I love that. That's why my book is a memoir and not autobiography. You know, it, it is stories from my life, but it's, and it does encompass the breadth of my life. I don't think it's really my life story. I would tell that differently. Um, so just write the individual bits, put them together, see what, get a reaction, show them to people. I had, you know, nine people read my book and give me feedback to see what worked and what didn't. I listened to all of them. So write them share them, rewrite them, rewrite them, rewrite them. And then, you know, once you got a few together, trot them out and try them out on people, you know, do a reading. You know, the first reading that I did, uh, I had a room full of people at a, at a book launch in Thunder Bay and people were laughing and crying and including me. And I knew it worked when my son who was 13 at the time came up to me and said, or he was 14 at the time, he's 14 now came up to me and said, that was great, dad. I was oh. crying so hard I had snot in my mask. 
thought, well, that went all right. That's working. So yeah, don't worry about, just write them down. Like, you know what your good stories are, right? Write them down. And uh, don't listen to the naysayer voice in your head or anybody else's for that matter, right? If for nothing else, you have these stories for your legacy, that's a great reason to do it. That's what I tell people. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. And, and I love it because I think sometimes we can think of the book in its entirety and like, how am I going to do that? Well, page by page or story by story. How am I going to do that? That's a really good question too, right? Um, how do I make the time? What do I do? You know, I th- I'm a big fan of uh, time blocking. Mm-hmm. You know, just blocking out time to do it. I'll tell you what I have found, not just for myself, but the writer's best friend, and people aren't going to want to hear this, is five in the morning. <laughs> five yep. in the morning is the writer's best friend. You get up, do Wordle, whatever you're going to do, <laughs> get your coffee or your drink, and you're going to have about three hours, two hours, whatever it is. And you don't get an email, you don't get a phone call, nobody bothers you. And when you get that, you get into that zone, right? You know what I'm talking about. When you feel it and you got your ideas are right. that are another floating around your head, right? They're almost like you're sitting under an apple tree and you go, okay, I'm ready for this one. I'm turning it in. I can pull that one in. That one's going in. Okay, I'm lining them up. That's when you get in that really beautiful flow. Uh, that feels so great. Um, you know, that's what I, that's, that's the stuff. So block your time and then just go ahead and do it. Absolutely. Um, one other question. You, you mentioned being a producer. Do you think that helped you as far as storytelling? Like, did you look at these as like, okay, I just got to get, you know, one episode at a time. Like, uh, did anything from that experience help you in the writing process? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, as a television producer, I'm also a writer and, and director. I've been nominated for a Canadian Screen Award. I know how to write. Uh, you know, I've written for television for, for 30 years. I'm considered a good writer in my industry. So I knew how to do that stuff. And, you know, uh, the producer stuff helps with like your work back schedule and organizing yourself. And the producer stuff helped me with the clearances for all the hats and working through those things. And it certainly helped me structure. I'm a huge structurist, you know, structure is everything. You know, once you work out the structure and you can be really minute working out the structure, I, I wasn't, but if I had less experience, I would be. And in future books, I will be then you're kind of filling in the words and that's mm. easy. And then you can go back and, and fix it. So, uh, you know, knowing how to write helped. I knew that my, I didn't expect my first draft to be good. I knew that I could go back and rewriting would make it good. You know, uh, was it Hemingway said, get it down and get it right. Uh, so I knew all of that stuff. That was very, very helpful. Lovely. And, and Craig, if people want to connect with you, if they want to connect with and find your book, you know, how best should they, they purchase and find it? Well, they can go to my website, which is colbyvision.net. And if you search for my name in all caps, Craig Colby in all caps, stories that justify an outrageous hat collection, you'll find my webpage and I have links to all the different places you can buy it. Um, uh, you can reach out to me. I will sell you a signed one. It won the Canadian Book Club Award for oh, nice. Best Nonfiction Book of 2022. I'll hold that right up there. I can get you one with a sticker and I'll sign it for you and if you'd like that, I can make that happen. You can reach out to me and you can connect me, connect with me through the website. Uh, just click, click on the scenes that say book a meeting, or you can send me an email at craig at colbyvision.net. 
So C-R-A-I-G at ColbyVision.net. And I'm, uh, I'd, be, I'd be happy to sell you the book. <laughs> Lovely. And if any of y'all missed that, it will be in the episode show notes. So please check that out to connect and purchase the book. Craig, any last words that you want to leave us with before I ask my last question? Uh, yeah, I, you know, you talked about writing. If there's one thing to learn from this particular book, if you're having trouble writing about yourself, pick an object and write about your experience with that. It's kind of, you don't really feel like you're writing about yourself, right? You feel like you're writing about uh, it and the people around it. That's a really good way to get into it. And once you've written about it, Make sure you write about how you felt about what happened there mm. and what impact it had on you and what you took away from it. You know, that's the stuff that people really respond to. It's not just experiences. It's, it's you and the experience and, and what they did to you and how they affected you. Absolutely. Such great advice, right? Like if you're just like, oh, there's nothing interesting about me kind of removing yourself. I think that's really great. Um, advice to get started. Um, uh, such great words. I, there's nobody I've met who there isn't something interesting about. You know, in my right. job, we do a lot of interviewing of people. I teach interviewing. And most people in my job say one of their favorite parts is interviewing because you meet people and find out about them. We dismiss ourselves. Uh, we're, you know, we're all insecure to some uh, effect and we all listen to the outside voices and some of the inside ones. You're more interesting than you think you are. So put your most interesting stuff out there. I love that. Craig, wonderful interview. Oh, thank you so much. All right, Craig, my last question that I will bother you with today is... Not a bother. I appreciate that. Is, you know, what is something that you can leave us with? It could be a word or phrase that we can use in our creative writing, in our music, something that will spark inspiration for us to go and create our, our writing prompts and our writing assignments. What do you have for us? Well, the one that popped into my head is like empty the tank. Ooh. You know, empty the tank. When you don't feel like you have to share it right away, right? Okay. But when you are writing to yourself, admit your weaknesses, admit your mistakes, talk about how you got through it. Like, Really empty your emotions out onto that page, you know. Um, and I think that's what people relate to the most. You know, you don't have to bleed all over the place. You can talk about how you work through it or what, you know, anytime you put what you learned from it, uh, then it's not, then you're worried, oh, it's going to be feeling sorry for myself. You know, it's not. But you have to start with really, you know, burying your soul and really talking about the, the way you actually felt and the, what it did to you uh, and even where you screwed up. Those are, that's when people are going to feel you and relate to you. Uh, so just empty the tank, empty the tank. I love that. And I love the inspiration behind it. And so y'all stay tuned to the end of this episode to see what I do with the prompt, empty the tank. Um, Craig, wonderful, wonderful interview. Um, please do not be a stranger to, to the podcast. I'll come back anytime you want to talk, Liz. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I, I like the way you do an interview. Um, and I really had a good time today. Thank you so much. Be well. 
We need more ammunition, General, called his lieutenant, ducking for cover from an oncoming attack. The other side cheered as their attack shifted their fort. They slapped high fives and punched the air as they awaited counterfire. The general, a four-foot-tall fifth grader with a gap as wide as the two forts, scratched his head, trying to determine their next attack. We will give you one minute to fire, then we'll launch another attack, called his friends, or should he say, his enemies, from across the battlefield. His lieutenant and best friend Kyle anxiously awaited his response. Even the general's trusty four-legged sidekick, Howie, whimpered and barked as time went on. It was the very whimper that gave the general a risky idea. Empty the tank, the general grinned. It was the instruction he gave every night for Howie's last bathroom break. It was his cue to empty everything he had. His lieutenant knew this instruction well. The general brought his team close as he gave his orders. Howie, empty the tank over there, the general pointed, and Howie, as if understanding, nodded. Lieutenant, load the missiles. Kyle did as he was instructed and loaded the Nerf guns, ready to demolish the opposing side as they ran for cover. The general hugged Howie close and said, Godspeed, as he released him for his task. The opposing side began a countdown. Five, four, three, P? The lieutenant and general widened their smile as they rose from the fort and unleashed a barrage of missiles. The other side dropped to the ground as Howie finished them off with slobbery kisses. Once they finished the ambush, the team rejoiced with Howie at their side, but the victory was short-lived. The door to the battlefield cracked open and the queen entered with a face of disgust. Why are you boys being so loud? And what's that smell? The queen sniffed the air, and the fire in her eyes made both teams cower together as she growled. Is that pee? Run, instructed the general, leading his troops past the queen into the treehouse to fight another day. <laughs>